Hello, Hoopaholics. It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One, back with another episode of the Box and One podcast. Maxwell Baumbach is back, man. We had to have him. We've been doing this for a while, and, and Max and I have gotten pretty tight. And I really enjoy the back and forth conversations that he and I have now about different prospects and, and really have appreciated his eye because I think both of us think of the game in kind of a similar way where we're not just looking for what the skill is for a particular prospect, but the broader trends at play. So that's why I wanted to have Max on for a conversation tonight about kind of a, a shooting and how teachable or projectable shooting is for a lot of guys that can't shoot. But before we get into that stuff, the most important question to ask today, Max, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. Uh, we are in the heat of draft season. I got sick over the weekend, and I was like, I, no. I don't have, I don't have the time for this. We're we're plowing through, and that's that's what we're gonna continue to do. I was I was blowing my nose constantly on the No Ceilings uh, yep. podcast we put out this past week over on the No Ceilings NBA feed. But hey, that's that's life. We gotta we gotta keep pushing, and I'm I'm really excited for this one. Uh, it's a really interesting topic. It's one that. I think it's misunderstood a lot. I've done a lot of work on it. It's something that you've put a lot of thought into in the past. And I'm excited to kind of share our different, different viewpoints on it. Yeah. And, and I think the work that you have put in makes you the perfect guest to kind of come on and, and chat about some of these things. So let's stop tiptoeing around the topic and just throw it out there. Right. Uh, we're talking about evaluating shooting projection, mainly for guys who don't have shooting skills pre-draft. And contrary to what many of you might think, I am keeping an eye on the comment section uh, on YouTube shows when Sam Vecini and I get together and do our game theory podcast. And in this past week, when we were doing our mock draft, a question came through the chat and the live feed from a viewer that really has kept me up at night in some regard and got my interest peaked on this topic. Uh, and I thought it was phrased perfectly in that chat. So I'm just going to read the question here and I'll probably drop it in the description as well so you can see anybody who's watching on YouTube or, or even listening in the podcast description, exactly the way this is phrased. Does the draft community overestimate the ability to teach players shooting skills, especially from square one? And look, I'm guilty of this. Mm -hmm. I think Max is guilty of this. I think many of us are who do a lot of film watching and, and player evaluation we kind of take for granted how many NBA players have come into the league without having a, a really solid or sturdy three-point shot and turned into excellent shooters. But you can't assume that that's going to happen to everybody. So this question really is to reference guys who are poor shooters now. I'd say 30% or below or really hitchy mechanics, like something that just makes you really question whether they're going to be able to to shoot at the next level. We're not going to go in, in depth on maybe some other guys who, who are good shooters who are mediocre shooters and guys who take it in high volume, but are just not quite over the hump of being really good yet. Like this is for the guys who are seen as poor shooters pre-draft. And we're going to be talking about basically the overhaul, the complete overhaul of shooting to turn a guy who's really far away into being a legitimate shooting threat. I, I feel like this is a, a really important question because we've got a lot of those examples of guys who have gotten better as shooters throughout their career, right? DeJounte Murray from San Antonio and, and now with the Atlanta Hawks. I mean, he shot 28% from three in college, only about 31% during his first two pro years. He's not great now, but he's up to a very stable 34% on a high volume and he can knock down shots in, in bunches. 
Josh Giddy, another Namer example, below 30% from three, playing for the Adelaide 36ers before he was drafted, 26% from three as a rookie, and he's continuing to climb, about 32 and a half this year. Not great, but good enough to be able to play off ball and be respected as a shooter in some regard. But with those two guys being moderate success examples early in their career, there are so many other guys that just haven't been able to catch on in the same regard. Ben Simmons is going to be the most famous example we have here. And I don't want to turn this into a Ben Simmons bashing session, but it's clearly something that he's never really felt comfortable with or expanded into his repertoire. Mm -hmm. Killian Hayes, 29% from three during his draft year, 27% in his NBA career. So he clearly hasn't gotten better in that regard. So this question has really got me thinking about what is it that's translatable, maybe what factors we look for in certain prospects to be able to determine whether they are the type of guy that are going to add this to their repertoire as they move forward. What can we glean into this process? So really thrilled for this discussion. And, and look, the word that often comes with shooting, particularly for guys who aren't great shooters right now, is the phrase touch. We hear it all the time, right? Well, he's not making a ton of shots. He's not necessarily a great shooter right now, but he's got real touch. And maybe this is a forecast into a Leonard Miller discussion that we have maybe later on here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but what is what do you think of with touch? Like, how do you define it? What elements do you look at when you're trying to see if a prospect has touch? Yeah. So I define touch is like, I, so I don't think of. I I almost think of like touch and jump shooting almost completely separately. So I think of touch within the context of like mid range in and free throws when it's like very static or it is just a hand movement. Can they lob the ball softly into the basket on a consistent basis? Like that to me is touch. It's like, I'm, I'm a Leonard Miller believer. And when I say Leonard Miller has touch, that's what I'm talking about, right? He's a very good um, pull-up shooter. He has kind of a, a really good quirky runner shot when he's using his hand. He has a very good ability to just hand eye lob that ball right into the basket on a consistent basis. And that's why he's such a good free throw shooter too. Um, where that can get tricky in terms of translation is when he has to shoot a jump shot and he can't rely on like the hand motion. It has to become a full body mechanism that that's where Leonard Miller runs into trouble, right? He's got the, the funky push shot. A lot of people are lower on that, but the fact that he does have that touch and ability to control the ball and easily put it where he wants when he's closer uh, is, is to me only a positive indicator. So that's how I've always looked at touch. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's a great explanation and, and something very similar to me. Like, I, I think a lot about the ability to, regardless of what your lower body is doing, be able to have that form and feel for where you are on the floor and how hard, how high uh, off, you know, off the glass, how much touch mm-hmm. you need to be able to put on something. So I, th- I think our definitions are very aligned, but where I always struggle is feeling like that's going to be an indicator to actual three-point shooting. And And look, I don't have a huge study that goes into something like this to be able to, to back this up or of how it might look for if you shoot, shoot a certain percentage on floaters or runners or, you know, things like that, pull mm-hmm. up jumpers in the mid range that you're more likely to add that out to three. I, I can't answer that off the top of my head. I'm not sure if you can. Yeah. I, I, you've started to kind of use a mishmash of things to try and evaluate what I'm looking for when it comes to, 
uh, projecting out shooting. Do we want to get into that now as far as like what we view as the indicators? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. So for me, one of the first things that I am looking at in this, this first answer, I'm going to get out of the way because it's kind of cheating, right? Like if we're talking about like, is somebody going to shoot three pointers at the NBA level, especially within the context of this is somebody who struggled to convert uh, threes in college is just historical results. So let's say a guy for that individual player. So let's say this player um, has a down shooting year. Like I know, I think Luke Kennard was the guy who had like a bad three point shooting season one year in college. Okay. But you look at the years before that, you know, okay, well he has, you know, one season where he's, you know, 32% from three as a freshman, but okay. 43 the next year and vice versa. A guy has a good three point shooting season. They come down a little bit. Uh, Peyton Pritchard, for example, yep. is a guy with a three-point percentage kind of waxes and wanes year over year. But generally, it's it's pretty good. Um, so I, I try to look back and see, okay, you know, was this guy a good shooter previously? Um, a player like Jay Nivey, another one of those, where he was a really good three-point shooter in college. So even though he had that rough freshman season, you could still kind of convince yourself, hey, he shot it before. Same with Tyrese Maxey. Um, yep. Then when it comes to the actual shot, um, the big kind of phrase that I think this all ties into is just energy transfer, which is okay. where is the energy going from your feet up through that shooting motion um, off the catch? It starts with, is there a dip? Um, when you catch the ball, are you bringing it down low? Um, I am, I'm sort of anti like dramatic dip on the sure. shot generally, okay. which is the side this, going to be odd coming from a big Bilal Koulibaly guy <laughs> who, who basically touches that thing off the floor uh, before yep. he gets it up. But in general, like I, I think of it in terms of like golf, like in golf, you don't see a lot of long armed golfers uh, just because it's a, it's a wider range of motion. There's a lot more that can go wrong. Um, I think the same is true with a jump shot. Um, it also gives the defense time to recover. There's, there's all that uh, it takes longer to get off. Um, yep. I also look at where is your body moving? Um, so a player that I always, the two guys I always think of with this are Josh Christopher and Ricky council, as far as guys that like shoot across their body. Yeah. Um, so just in terms of what's happening with your body, when you're starting with the ball on one side and bringing it across to another, you're sort of losing control and you're, you're, you know, going upward with your legs, you're shooting across your body, but your touch has to be aiming the ball toward the basket. Um, so I like to see just consistency as far as where every part of your body is going. Um, and part of that too can be where your feet pointed. Um, yes. Jalen Johnson was a guy in college who um, his feet would dramatically be off to the side of the basket when he yep. would go into his jump shooting motion. And again, you're not loading up in a square manner uh, toward the hoop. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah. Are you, are you going? And then the last one is, are you moving one direction or another <laughs> after, after your shot? Um, yeah. And like Jairus Walker is a guy where I believe in the shot long-term. Cause I think this is a, a simple fix. Um, but it, it, it seems like there's like a gust of wind underneath him at times where he just sort of drifts <laughs> off to the side on a lot of his jump shots. And, and it's not necessarily to get out of the way of anybody. It's just a part of how he takes his jump shot. Yeah. Um, so I like to get as much of an up down, energy transfer is possible um, I, lo- I like one that. seamless motion yeah i like that term energy transfer a lot because uh, you know what i use a lot to talk about shooting is fluidity right yes exactly that, what what i look for is guys who avoid having hitches in their shot is it a one motion shot like i'm not mm-hmm. i'm not as diametrically opposed to a rhythm dip necessarily mm-hmm. because 
look, we're talking predominantly about guys who are going to be just adequate average shooters if, as they top out. Like, I don't know if there's many examples of guys who were really putrid and needed a complete mechanical overhaul pre-draft mm-hmm. who turned into some of the best shooters in the, in the league or in mm-hmm. the world. Like they're the best ones you can predictably see coming. But for me, if you're going to be a, an average shooter, you're probably going to have a little bit more time to get your shot off which means like I'm not as worried That's about fair. how yeah. far the rhythm dip is. It still bothers like you lose mm-hmm. a little bit of time the lower that you bring that ball to your waist or beneath it. But I, I also think that what's more important, particularly if you are a guy who's going to be taking most of your attempts while open, is to just have a fluid release from top to bottom. So the energy transfer goes really well with this type of terminology where you catch the ball, it brings you into some sort of a spring or a loading position to get into your shot. And then in that same fluid movement, your body all in one piece moves up energy transfer from your feet and your toes to your knees starting to extend and straighten, as well as the timing at the same time when your wrist is flicking forward and your left hand, or if you're a right-handed shooter, your left hand is coming off of the ball. So I think of fluidity as being really important. And one of the biggest reasons for that is shooting as much as you want to rep it over and over and over and over again. It's just, it's a muscle memory type of feel thing Mm -hmm. that if you have to pay attention to avoiding certain aspects of your shot and it just doesn't feel natural, it's going to be really hard to come along. So there is just this natural look to it and fluidity is the best way that I can kind of describe that process. Obviously, mm-hmm. like, we, and we're going to dive into some of the other things that you mentioned about kind of where you land and where you're aimed. I think some of the players that you brought up are important in that. I'm really curious about a guy like uh, Alonzo Ball back in the day, mm-hmm. right? Like unique mechanics, and he ironed them out. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think he was a terrible shooter at UCLA, but no. we could all see that there were limitations in which his shot could get off. He pulled it all the way across his face. And when you're going to, you know, to your right and you want to bring the ball to the left side of your face, that's a really difficult thing to do. So the change in his mechanics was able to be successful and he turned into a, a really good catch and shoot player for the Chicago Bulls later in yeah. his career. And he was, he was able to do that in large part, I believe, because he had fluid mechanics from the first part that it was just one little hitch or one thing that he needed to change with ball placement. Now he bought his, his body to be aligned to the hoop. And once he was able to do that, everything else was so fluid that the mechanics, the repetition, the muscle memory could be built in a way that sticks. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and that's like, like you mentioned everything else kind of being in one fluid motion. And the next, the next two things I had kind of written down, one of them was consistency, right? Sure. Like is, yep. is the shot looking the same every single time? Exactly. Um, Cause I worry a lot more when a guy's a, a bad jump shooter and it's looking different every time because it's like, okay, well there might be a touch issue uh, to go back to touch, but it also might just be like, you don't really know what you're doing from time to time. There's no yep. consistency to the motion. Uh, which makes repeating it and getting consistent results very difficult when there's an entirely different thing happening with your body uh, each time. Um, And then the last one, and this gets more into projection versus, you know, what I like to see, but um, I, I put comfort speed and variety. Um, So comfort is just how, how comfortable are you taking threes? Um, I feel a lot more confident with guys that are going to let them fly versus guys that aren't. 
um, a guy like I'm here to think of, of guys that are you know non shooters or well I'll, I'll bring up Jairus Walker again but like the fact yeah. that like Jairus Walker takes as many threes as he does makes me feel better about him as opposed to someone like Norshadow Mir who sure. took a, a handful of threes on the year shot an okay percentage but I'm not like I, I don't think a three point yeah. shot is ever going to be a, a part of Norshadow Mir's game sure so for example. I. I don't want to push back on that point too far because I, I genuinely agree with it. I think the yeah. guys who are willing to take threes are borderline more investable as mm-hmm. in terms of becoming a jump shooter than somebody who's not willing to take them. But for me, I keep thinking and wondering, are they allowed to take threes? That's it's not, so that's a yeah, real thing. Yeah. It's not necessarily their choice mm-hmm. to it, it, within the confines of what their college coach or, or you know, pre-professional team is going to allow them to do yeah because we're gonna we'll touch i saw that you linked to that piece that you wrote in the past i thought it was very interesting as far as who does and does not become a jump shooter based on a lot of things that people like to use as a tool so we'll we'll definitely get to that because i was i'm excited to talk about that one um the next one i put was speed which is just Mm -hmm. like in in this even kind of dovetails with the comfort which is how quickly are you getting it off and is there hesitation so when you're getting the ball are you thinking about it are you pausing or are you just shooting it um, because the guys that do have a lot of pause, it's like, you're not even really sure about this shot. Yeah. Um, and I do think that mental confidence aspect does play a role. Um, and the last is variety. Yeah. And this we'll get into with one of the guys that you had, uh, that we kind of pegged to talk about because I, I think it's something that he has working in his favor, um, is the variety of different shots that a guy is willing to take. Um, so to kind of go off, off and use a different guy that we don't have on the docket, a guy like Mike miles, right? Like he'll take deep threes. He will take threes off the dribble. He will take threes off of movement. So his percentage this season ended up being something pretty good. I think he ended up around like 37, 38, um, on the year. So it was a good number, but in the past, historically his three point percentage had never been there, but I always felt better about him as a shooter than the number suggested because he wasn't getting the easiest looks. He was taking a lot of them off movement, off, off the dribble and from NBA range. Um, So if a guy is taking a more difficult variety of shots, I'm a little bit more willing to buy in. Um, And I also just think it's something that like the more NBA film um, that I watch during the season, the more I find that like the amount of NBA I watch is like goes hand in hand with how much I value difficult three point making. Yeah. We're like, even a yeah. guy like a Pat Connaughton, right. Who's not like the best shooter in the world or anything like that. But you look at the threes that he has to take and like, he doesn't always get to take the easiest ones. Like there are very few extremely easy looks that you're going to get um, in a, in a tough competitive NBA game. Um, so guys that are able to make those more difficult shots, I, I always kind of weigh in favor of a bit more. Yeah, Mike Miles is an interesting one. Like his numbers have never been there, but mm-hmm. after watching all of the either floppy action or like baseline exit stuff that Jamie Dixon would run for him at TCU, all baseline yeah. out of bounds stuff, trying to get mm-hmm. him off screens coming off the the baseline. Like if your coach plays you like you're a shooter and gives you the green mm-hmm. light, that's enough for me to like overlook some of the numbers and say like, oh, he's only at thirty two percent. I wish he was at thirty six. Like. No, he's getting the role like he's a 36% three-point shooter. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to be worried about that long-term. But give us the, those three terms that you just used again one more time. Yes, yeah, so that was comfort, speed, and variety. Comfort, speed, and variety. I like that. So obviously for me, I talked about easily repeatable mechanics. Same thing as you. Does it look the same every single time from top to bottom? That's base. That's landing. That's the width of your stance where your feet pointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, The release point is the arc looking the same 
similar types of shots that should look the same when you're off of screens, when you're picking popping or when you're just spotting up in the corner, I think that there's some room for varying mechanics, but the meat and potatoes of your shot should be the exact same every single time. Uh, another thing I, you know, I talk about the base a little bit there as being really important for me. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, your term energy transfer, it starts at the feet and, if your feet are too wide or if your feet are too narrow, it's a, a real issue for how much strength you're going to be able to generate into your shot. You know, wider form, you tend to not be able to to jump as high. So it ends up being a little less power on your shot. I'm not trying to like max vert every time you take a jump mm-hmm. shot, but I, I think wider frames are, are, or wider bases, I should say, are really hard to to get some power into at times. And then the narrow ones, I always worry about what it's like to when you run off the line. If somebody yep. closes off tight to you and your feet are so close together when you want to shoot, are you going to travel with it every time? Are you going to be able to separate at any time that you have to drive? Like shooting and the way that it's properly taught from a mechanical standpoint isn't just about making the shot. It's about having the options to pass, shoot, or dribble if you need to. And that last one of dribbling is still an important way in how shooting needs to be taught. You've got to be balanced and square to make multiple different things happen. The last thing that I do, if I'm on the fence about a guy, if I don't know if he's going to be able to make it, if, if the shooting hasn't been really good and I just want to get a better feel for if he's projectable, the last thing I actually look at are his misses. Yeah. I want to see in, in kind of one clip in one sitting, is there a common theme here? Because if there is one common theme, we might be able to fix that a little bit either. If there are a lot of things going on, if there's a depth procession issue and a lot of them are really long or air balls, if he's catch and shoot and momentum is very square and set and he's consistently missing to the left or the right, I think that more is an upper body problem, Mm -hmm. a mechanics, a thumb placement, a guide hand, something is influencing the way that shot is falling to the left or to the right. If it's a depth perception, it's much more with the base. I would, I think it's easier to correct the hand placement stuff than it is the base because I think base is so much fluid. Do you, do you, are you more of no, a, I, a base guy? I, I've, I, yeah, I think I always have been because I hmm. think I've always sort of bought more on like guys that miss short a lot because to me, it's always just like use a little bit more leg. Right. Like to me, it feels like an easier fix. So I've always kind of leaned that way as far as like, I, I like the missing short for, as opposed sure. to like, if you're going to miss in any direction, I'd rather you like miss a little bit short and just be ready to have a little bit more bend off the catch. It's sure. like how I've always sort of viewed it. Uh, Cause that tends to be the issue a lot of the time, but that is interesting that, that that's a bigger concern coming from someone like in, in the coaching space too. Yeah. Because, um, yeah. Just cause like you get to be a lot more hands-on with, with the process. Yeah. Pun intended um, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I just, I think hand placement is, Mm -hmm. if you rep it enough and guys feel really comfortable with it, that's what sticks a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I think legs tend to fade as you get a little bit more tired, particularly particularly if legs are the problem in your shot Mm -hmm. a lot of the time. Like, well, I, I, I do get like, just get a little bit stronger, find a little bit more legs and power into your Mm -hmm. shot. I think the way that I envision this question in my head is also about the depth perception, right? You miss short and you miss long where your your issue isn't just with, Oh, I can't quite get it to the basket every single time. I need more power. Mm -hmm. It's that my misses are varying in distances 
it's going to be a lot harder to reel in that depth perception issue than it is trying to clean up one part of your shooting hand or your guide hand to make sure that the ball is being released consistently every time. Totally. And, and that's more than fair. And one point I wanted to sneak in is something I know that Corey Toba on from no Sinks has mentioned on, on podcasts before, and he's somebody who coaches as well. And one thing that, that I like to use, and it's something that like I, I plan on passing along to my, you know, my daughter, my nieces and nephews and things like that is one, one t- uh, thing he likes to, to mention with a jump shot base is to like almost feel like you, you could be ready to fight in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Like if someone pushes you, do you still have your balance and things like that? Cause I think a lot of the times when guys get too narrow, um, that's like one of the things is like your balance is just not there. Yeah. If you're narrow and to your point, like even if it's like getting chased off the line, but even just from a pure mechanic standpoint, um, it's a little difficult to have full control over your body when you are very narrow. Yeah. Um, and as somebody who's like into weightlifting with squatting, it's the same mm-hmm. thing, right? Like yep. if you're, if your squat base is too narrow, you have a lot less control over your body. There's, there's a lot more that can go wrong. Um, you can put too much pressure on your back and like the same thing in a jump shot, right? Like it's, yeah. it's, it's a fluid up down motion. Um, and you want to make sure that you have just that, that basic balance underneath you. Yeah. So I want to ask you, I know this, this was not on our agenda and docket yeah. tonight, but one prospect whose uh, videos I just got done with and did a scouting report a few days ago was Jaime Jaquez at UCLA. Yeah. And, and yeah. he's an interesting one because uh, we've mentioned a couple guys who are like up and down in terms of their multi-season college careers of maybe one or two years where they're pretty good from three, another year or so where they're not great in some regard. Mm -hmm. I don't think he's ever been an elite shooter, but like 34, 35% passable Mm -hmm. off the catch. Yeah, moderate volume. He had a one year as a junior that was really poor. He was about Mm -hmm. 26% on catch and shoot Mm -hmm. looks, which is a really poor number, particularly for, you know, a a guy who has so much touch like he does in the short mid-range area. I mean, Jaime Mm -hmm. Hawkins' game, is built around this unbelievable touch that he has on floaters, on step backs, on everything inside of 16 feet. But one of the things that I noticed in trying to break down his mechanics is that mm-hmm. off the catch, he tends to turn his hips a little bit to the left. Yep. And yeah, almost shoot it totally across square. his body. Yep. He's not mm-hmm. totally square. And does it does something like that bother you? And where do you come down on the like I don't love the catch and shoot mechanics fully versus mm-hmm. he shows so much touch in other areas and has been an adequate enough shooter throughout his career that like, is this too overblown of a concern? Are we nitpicking things right here by bringing up his shooting form? I, I don't think so. Um, I, I'm also a firm believer in like just habit building and the longer yeah. it goes on, the less likely I am to believe it's going to change. Um I, and, and, and then even if it does change later, like what does the carryover look like on that? So I did a big piece on Kobe Brown earlier this year because he had this monster shooting leap. He went from like yep. 24% to like 47% from three. It was absurd. Um, and the stick rate on guys like that is very low. But one thing I did find was that there are a lot of players that have significant shooting leaps that do stick in the NBA. And it almost always happens from their freshman to their sophomore year. Like yep. the guys who had a 10% leap in three-point percentage – it was almost all like highly regarded guys that came out as sophomores. It was your Keegan Murray's, your Jay Nivey's guys who do look like they're going to shoot it long term. Um, so I think the longer that it goes on without any sort of change, the more skeptical and, and dubious I become. Um, 
because yeah, the, the line is going to be further away. You're going to be facing harsher closeouts and things like that. Um, the one thing I do like about Jaime that I actually had noted is that his percentage on the unguarded looks is very good. Yeah. And I do always kind of put a little something in that because it's like, well, if they can make the wide open ones, then can you totally ignore them? Like, I I don't know. To me, to me, that is worth a little bit of something uh, yeah. paired with the fact that he is good on like pull up shooting. So it's like clearly he's I don't know. Pull up yeah. shots are tougher. So if you're able to make like pull up twos, I'm always a little more willing to buy in. Yep. So I'm not like totally out on Jaime becoming an average shooter. I'm I'm definitely skeptical of it, but I, I would not write it off because of his unguarded percentage and how well he does on the pull-up shots. Yeah. Well, at, at your first point there about, you know, the longer it goes on, the more concerned you are about the habits kind mm-hmm. of breaking. Like this isn't necessarily something to say, oh, if you're 22 and you can't shoot, we don't want you. It's, it's, not yeah, necess- yeah, yeah. it's not really an age thing. It's more so a muscle memory thing. You get mm-hmm. more reps and more time building those poor habits. They're just harder to break. And as an NBA rookie or a young player, you only have a finite number of years to prove you can do something before mm-hmm. you keep getting the opportunities and the investment from NBA shooting coaches and, and development staffs to keep getting better and fixing some of those mechanical flaws. Right. And that's something that I think we need to be cognizant of from like the standpoint of considering a front office yeah. and how quickly they tend to move on from guys where if I'm bringing somebody in who's on like how many draft frame, well, where do you, where would you say like, comfortably high may slots right now like probably probably 25 to 45 yeah. maybe 25 to 50 okay so let's say i get him in that like 30 to 45 range mm-hmm. i'm probably not like super married to him as a player mm-hmm. and if things aren't going well and he doesn't turn that around quickly or if i'm just looking at my roster construction i'm just saying well this guy you know he's three years away from being 25 so you're really gonna improve that much by then like teams just aren't as patient as we'd like yeah. them to be and that's something that I think we need to consider as well is like, yeah. if this guy is coming in with, you know, habits that we don't like, and he's not, we're not getting the results right away. A team that does not have committed guaranteed money on the books to a guy might be pretty willing to move on pretty fast. Or the other way to phrase that is if you are a clearly lottery talent or mm-hmm. elite player, you're going to have the runway to be able to work through some of that exactly. in the patience. So yep. this is as much about, understanding the other tools that somebody brings to the table and how that's going Mm -hmm. to buy them time and the attention that their investment deserves, as opposed to being a second round guy. And Hey, like we just need you to stick and show something now, or we got to move on. Well, and I think, yeah. And I think a lot of like an age plays a small factor, but I just think like other abilities plays a factor as well, where like, um, Gosh, I don't want to mention the guy that we're talking about earlier, but we'll use <laughs> we'll use Jairus for the 900th time tonight. Sure. So, so Jairus brings a lot of other stuff to the floor, right? So like yeah. if Jairus takes a while to become a league average or near league average shooter, he's going to be okay. Like I don't think Jairus is going to bust because his jump shot is, you know, at 28% as a rookie. He's still able to pass. He's still able to create out of the short roll. He still has an NBA body. He's still going to be able to defend. Um, a guy like Josh Minot, is even like on the lower side of the spectrum, an example of that phenomenal athlete, super high motor could really defend a guy whose touch I liked, um, but I really did not like his jump shot. But when you have some of the passing creativity that he showed at Memphis, when you have just the outrageous athleticism, and when you have those physical tools and you are younger, you have ways to contribute to an NBA game. And you're going to get more of a runway just because there aren't 
a lot of guys with his size and his athleticism. So a lot of times the other things that you do can play a role in your shooting projection because frankly, you'll ha- you'll get more time to work it out. Yeah. And the last thing I want to hit on uh, before we kind of move on here was something you'd said about those unguarded catch and shoot attempts, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't necessarily want to go down the rabbit hole of like, how does synergy define what's unguarded and what's guarded? And like we could pick apart mm-hmm. some of those, those things all day long if we wanted to. But another guy in this class who I tend to be really high on for that exact reason that he didn't have a great shooting year this year, but he made 40% of his or over 40% of his unguarded looks for the second straight year is Chris Murray out of Iowa. Yeah. Yeah. And he was seen as having a little bit farther down of a year, much more of a catch and shoot guy mm-hmm. or like he's well-rounded enough as a player, but he needs that in order to stick in the league for yes. sure. I'm I'm still relatively in on Chris Murray because I know he's made 40% of his unguarded looks year after year. And I think that he's going to continue to get those by nature of what his role is going to be, like stick him in the corner and have him be that spot up guy around a team that has your top three options on offense, getting the majority of the defensive attention. So uh, I, I think it's, a, it's an appropriate one to try to make sure that those numbers have been really important in the scouting process that if you can tell, you know, how they shoot depending on where their closest defender is, it tells you a lot about, is there a, a really solid baseline to be working with? When I think with Murray too, it gets even more into like the variety context I had mentioned earlier too, where like Iowa wasn't the, the most loaded team this season and he was yep. tasked with a bit more creation um, then you would probably like him to be. And he was able, teams are really able to load up on him. Yeah. Um, so like you mentioned, he shot that, you know, 40.7% on unguarded threes, took 176 threes, 117 of them were guarded. So yeah. his 33.3% or whatever he ended up at for the year is different than a lot of other guys, 32%, yeah. just because teams knew, knew we can load up on Chris Murray. He's not the most dynamic guy when chased off the line. He's strong, yeah. he's powerful. He can get to his spots at the college level. Um, with relative ease against a lot of the guys he's going to be matched up against there. Um, but in the NBA, that's just not going to be how teams defend him. Like, I, I don't think a guy is going to be glued to Chris Murray the entire shot clock. Yeah, 100%. Um, so, yeah, so it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, when you consider the context of what his role will be, uh, yeah, it is easier to imagine him as a shooter um, when a defense is not fully devoted to him, when he's probably somebody who's going to be more of like a seventh, eighth man uh, on a great team. Just another reason why shooting projection goes far beyond the numbers, the context, mm-hmm. the mechanics, all of these things certainly matter. But there's one kind of indicator that I know gets thrown out so frequently Let's as a it. reason for optimism. And it's one that I simply cannot buy into necessarily because I've done a lot of the, the work and the data behind this last summer to try to diagnose whether this is legit or not. And it's free throw shooting. Mm-hmm. We hear all the time that if somebody makes a lot of their free throws and has a really good free throw shooting form, then I'm much more likely to buy into them as a three point shooter or somebody who can add a three pointer to their game. I, it's not that that's wrong or inaccurate in any way. I think that they are probably more likely, but based on the study that I did, which looked at all guys who shot 67% or above in college, but below 30% from three and were drafted, how many of them turned into being good three-point shooters? And by good, I'm essentially looking at league average, like 35, 36% in the NBA. One out of 10 guys uh, on average 
ends up turning into that. So if we're not if, great, not it's great. not a, it's yeah. not a great indicator for, can you turn into a league average shooter? And because of that, like I am much more incl- inclined to sit here and agree. Yes. Mm-hmm. Free throw shooting form and whether you make them does matter. If you show really poor numbers on that end, I'm probably going to be worried that you can, you're going to add a three point jump shot, Mm -hmm. but I don't think the inverse is true. I don't think that if you have really high free throw shooting marks, that's an automatic to say that you're going to add that. And and one of the reasons for it, you know, I said maybe one out of every 10 players who hit that statistical threshold turned into a league average three point shooter. Do you know who those guys were? They were like Carl Anthony towns and Mike Muscala and Myers Leonard, like guys who kind of, yeah, bigs, but guys who we also knew had the potential to shoot the mm-hmm. ball. They just, like you said earlier, they had that one year where they didn't make shots in high volume. So uh, I remember Myers Leonard really peaking in the the pre-draft process as everyone's saying, oh my God, this is a seven-foot vertical lob threat who has got a lot more shooting than we ever thought he ever would. Mm-hmm. Let's take him in the top 16. Mike Muscala, like he is unbelievable shooter. When he was playing mm-hmm. at Bucknell, he just didn't make a ton of shots that one year and, and be able to shoot a ton of threes. He was more in the mid range. So it, it's one of those things where if you're going to be the one in 10 guys that fits this mold of really good free throw shooter and you turn into a league average guy, everyone can almost see it coming, right? Yeah. It's, and it's, yeah. And it goes back to like what you mentioned earlier with like Omir when I brought him up. It's yeah. like, was well, this guy being allowed to do that? Yes. And that was like, that was to me the, the first time I read that column. That was like the biggest, I don't know, like mind bender of the entire thing was that like a lot of those guys that shot well from the free throw line and didn't shoot poorly and, and did shoot poorly from three, they weren't a lot of wings and guards. Yeah. And it's, it's really tricky that just like for whatever reason, like those guys and probably because they've been in a position to shoot more of them throughout their life. And this is just kind of the end stage of that development of that part of their game. Um, yeah. It's, it's typically bigs that that works for more than more than guards and wings. Um, and I thought that side of it in particular was fascinating. Yeah, I'm looking at the list right now, and I'll link to this article uh, on my Twitter page when I share all of the podcasts out there. So make sure if you're if you're looking for it, go go mm-hmm. there to try to find it. Like James Booknight is one of the guards who who kind of fell into that category. Like I'm looking yeah. for the smaller guys on this list. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't really. I don't know if I'd call Jeremy Grant smaller, but he's definitely more of a wing wingier player. Yeah. Than a lot of the bigs on this list, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. I mean, he Mm -hmm. kind of plays a big now, but he's kind of like a big wing combo. Michael kid Gilchrist certainly, Mm -hmm. certainly fits that mold. And his, his mechanics were something, uh, something to behold throughout the course of his career. Derek Williams at Arizona, another guy who's like not more of a wing than a true big. So it, it is mostly bigs on this list who had mm-hmm. touch and, and probably weren't allowed to shoot it at that, uh, that low of a level. But I just, uh, I don't buy into free throw shooting being the automatic indicator. And for one of the reasons that you kind of mentioned and outlined earlier about touch, that touch is so important inside the arc, but shooting is a full body energy transfer type of process. And the farther out you go, the more you need your legs I'm just not sold that this is an, an absolute indicator you can turn into a positive shooter. Yeah. And well, it's just, it, it, 
I don't know. In your piece too, I believe you linked to, was it your piece that linked to the Ben Falk piece about yeah. Myers Leonard? Yeah. yeah. So one thing that I thought was interesting in that article is he talked about the NBA combine. He talked about how part of the issue with the combine is that it strips so much context in the game of basketball, right? Where a guy can have a great vertical leap, but if he can't jump functioning on a basketball court, it doesn't really matter how fast right. his vertical leap is. Or if a guy can sprint the full court really fast, basketball is also about change of direction. So how much does it really matter if he's, you know, fast end to end, if he can't, uh, you know, slide laterally or something like that. So I think there's part of that with free throw shooting too, right? Where like it's, it's, it happens in a basketball game, but it is devoid of the traditional basketball context where you're, you're standing in a line, you get a full routine. Nobody can get in your way. Uh, Guys, guys will try guys swing their arms. There's (laughs) some free throw defense that goes on these days, but Um, but generally it's just you, the ball and the basket, and you've got 10 seconds, uh, or longer, perhaps depending on the market that you play, de- in. De- depending <laughs> on, on whether you're from Greece, right? Yeah. Depending <laughs> on how many awards you've won. Um, yeah. To, to shoot a free throw where with the jump shot, it's just different. You're often moving into the shot. Yeah. There's defenders flying at you. You're, you're catching the ball. You're not always getting a great pass. You don't get to be static with the ball before you shoot it it's just a lot different. It's just a lot different than shooting a shot at game speed. Yeah, I totally agree. So look, we've talked a lot about what we look for, the different statistical trends, the the mechanics that that kind of the do's and don'ts, uh, if you will, but everyone wants to talk about the shooters in this class. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think that there are maybe some lessons that we could apply from players we've scouted before in some of this context, or just specifically breaking down what we have seen from these guys right now. And I'm going to let you go first because I'm that Mm -hmm. ungracious guest who puts you on the spot to kind of take the mantle at first, but let's go with, uh, with Amen Thompson, because he is, he is the guy who is most commonly seen as having literally every other tool in his arsenal, Mm -hmm. but he does not have any sort of a jumper, whether it's a pull up or a catch and shoot right now. Where are you on a men's shooting projectability and what have you evaluated thus far that is worth noting? Yeah. So with the men Thompson, I always want to clarify, it's just basketball. People get, people get very <laughs> fired up. The Thompson, like I saw Raphael Barlow had a tweet today. Yeah. It's like, we're the most contentious prospects. And like, it is the Thompson's people get very, very upset about anything to do with the Thompson twins. Yeah. So I want to start off by saying, I don't know that it's the most important thing that he become like, an above average shooter just because I think he is so athletic and so creative. I do think he is going to get downhill a lot. Like I think that at his size and with his burst, I think he's going to be able to get where he wants on the court enough to be a really effective NBA player. Um, So I am a bit lower on him as far as becoming a shooter, mostly just because of the quirks in the shot. Um, He'll have a couple that look pretty normal. Uh, He's got sort of a side-to-side arm movement at the top of his stroke that is very odd, where he gets it almost all the way up to the top before suddenly moving his arm out to the side and releasing the ball. Um, It's really strange. It's not something I am like, oh, yeah, he shoots like that guy. Like, there's no – I've never never seen it before. Um, But he deals with that a lot off the catch. Um, He was 33% on unguarded. It's like we mentioned that's something that's, you know, okay – but he was really unguarded. He was yeah. really unguarded. Teams yeah. gave him all the space in the world. Um, on the 16 guarded threes he took, he made 18.8%. Um, my other concern with him is that like 
so he has a decent floater. His like floater numbers were solid this year, but floater numbers, Zach Milner, his, his touch on this a lot yeah. and done a lot of work on it. Like floaters are just a really high variant shot like year over year. So it's hard to put too much stock into that. Um, yeah. His pull up three numbers were all right, but his pull up two numbers were pretty bad. Um, yeah. And even comparing him, I try to contextualize him in the same way. I look at Shea Gilgis Alexander a lot, just as far as like big guy gets downhill a lot gets into the paint when he wants to good finisher. Um, I think with Shay, when Shay was at Kentucky, like his pull-up numbers were way ahead of where men's were right now. Um, Given that he's 20, um, I'm again, like he's not, you know, ancient. It's not like he's one of these 25 year olds who, you know, finished their third (laughs) red shirt graduate season at at some school. Uh, Like he's got time. Right. And like, he is super athletic. So there's a really good chance he could work it out. Like he is the kind of guy that could do it. Um, But just based on what I've seen from a results standpoint, based on where the mechanics are at and given the competition that he's faced, I'm just not super bullish on him, like working it out or becoming an above average or positive shooter. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that I always tend to look for is I I feel more comfortable if there's one mechanical flaw that exists and we can point to it and say, if we can fix that and continue to rep this, we're going to be okay. I feel like there's so many different things with the men, whether it's the release that you'd mentioned. I think there's some like hand placement stuff that he's got to continue to improve. Base gets really narrow sometimes. His, his, his base does change. It goes from wide to narrow in different forms and fashions. Like he's, his pull-up mechanics are really different because he tends to lean backward a little bit more. I kind of think when he doesn't need to. Yeah. And doesn't shoot it that high in the mid range either, which is something that like, I don't know. Like you just don't see a lot of star NBA players who don't have a high release in the mid range. And, and it's a line drive shot. So it's like, mm-hmm. is there a little bit of a, an absence of touch that might be at play there? Where again, I don't think that having touch makes you a necessarily high candidate to add a shot, mm-hmm. but having poor touch makes it really hard. Uh, I also worry about the, the kind of the load up off the dribble. It seems like it's very outside his right hip sometimes where if he's got to dribble it with his left hand and get that into his shot pocket, it's going to take a little bit more time. It's going to be less natural. Is it versatile going in either direction? So again, like the the laundry list is starting to pile up where I'm inclined to agree with you. I don't know if I feel really good about a man becoming a, a solid shooter in the, in the NBA, but I do agree with your initial assessment. I don't think it really matters. Like he's going to be yeah, I think really good be either way. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's, it's going to like prevent him from making a lot of money playing professional basketball. So another guy who might be similar in terms of brings a lot of skills to the table that is seen as a, a subpar shooter right now is Anthony black. And I don't love comparing Anthony black to the Thompson twins because they're just completely different types of athletes, mm-hmm. but there is something to, you know, I think Anthony Black has enough in his game to make it in the NBA, even if he doesn't become a really good or or even a league average three-point shooter. But his mechanics have some different types of flaws than Amen Thompson. So again, the gracious guest here, I'm going to put you on the spot to go first. Where are you at with Ant Black? I like Ant Black. I think that he he meets, he checks a lot of the boxes that I had talked about earlier as far as things I like. So um, one of the biggest things I like about Ant is the variety of shots he's willing to take. Yeah. Um, and I think this is true for a man. I think Anthony Black is just a little better at them right now. Um, 
he is very willing to just move into a shot off the ball. He loves to do the quick. I'm going to, I'm going to jump it to this guy. I'm going to run around his handoff. I'm going to take a pretty deep three. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's something you see from him quite a bit. I think he's pretty comfortable pulling up with it. He didn't take a lot of pull-up twos. He only took like 17 of them, Um, but he looks pretty comfortable. Like, pulling back crossing over and going yep. right up into his jump shot and um, what, ten, 10 of 17 pull-up twos is that it right was, it was good yeah it yeah. was yeah 10 yeah something like that yeah seven seven for 17 so 41.2 percent really good mark but also like 27 percent of his threes off the dribble which like for a non-shooter not a horrible yep. mark um well unguarded number was 34 percent, and a lot of them were unguarded so yeah still uh, some work there but i i think there are reasons for optimism because i think he is like if you dare me i'm i'm gonna take it i, I love the confidence and assertiveness yep. that he has with a shot a lot of times one foot's out in front of the other he'll land on one foot sometimes there's a lot of stuff where i'm like all right that's a little weird there's there's kind of a weird wrist hitch at the top too mm-hmm. um can push it a little bit uh yeah there there are some flaws with it but i think the fact that he's as assertive with it as he is um, and is willing to move into it and take him off the dribble. I'm I'm a bit more optimistic at this stage. If there's another year of this, kind of like we saw with the men, right? Like a man yeah. ever knew the shot was the issue. He came yeah. back and the shot was like just slightly better. Like if Anthony Black had another year in college like this, or if he mostly plays in the G League next year and it looks like this again, I, I you know I'd be a little harder on him. Kind of sure. like I'm being to a man, but it does give me room for optimism. Yeah. So there's there's a lot that goes in, into this, right? Like I think with Ant Black, he has much more of a set shooting form, both off the dribble yeah. and off the catch. Like mm-hmm. he's not as live bodied. He needs more time. He needs to get himself square before he rises. And he is a basically eliminate the rhythm dip at all costs type of guy. Like his shot pocket is at his, his breastbone. Mm-hmm. Like he, he wants to get it here and hold it and then kind of rise from there. And and I tend to think that there's a lack of fluidity that comes as a result of that. But I also think that if he's going to be a slower shooter who needs to get himself square, that probably eliminates some of the time that you would continually lose. Like if you're like, I don't think you can afford to slow, get yourself square and then rhythm dip and then rise. Like you lose Mm -hmm. way too much time by kind of doing both. So I, I get it. And I almost excuse it for the functionality in that regard. You know, you'd mentioned willingness to shoot. I saw a lot more from Anthony Black in terms of if they're going under ball screens, I'm going to pull it. If they go under dribble handoffs, I will take the space and I will use this as an opportunity to show my confidence and try to punish them for doing so. I worry about a men Thompson in that regard, because I think that it was very predetermined as to whether he was going to do it, where there are some games where he just says, I got to shoot. I understand that this is the context for me as a prospect. I got to get some of these shots up and other games where he's standing out there and he kind of wants no part of it. So it's not just, this is almost an addendum onto what you'd said about willingness to shoot them. Like it's about willingness to always shoot them. Do you have the Mm -hmm. confidence in your form every time you're sagged off or someone goes underneath screens? I think Anthony black kind of does. Now he's smart enough to not shoot it every single time because you can't do that when teams are going to go under your ball screen as often as they did against him this year. But he had at least the confidence to shoot it every single time. You could tell that just by how he engaged in some of those attempts. Uh, Do you think Anthony Black has a two, like it's a hitchy shot that it has two motions to it? A little bit. I think so at the top. Yeah. Because there's times where it feels like he goes up 
and then the ball is pushed out as far instead of just being like like you mentioned like a fluid movement there's a lot of time where it is up push that's the biggest worry for me right now Mm -hmm. is like i can live with funky mechanics i can live with a guy who needs a little bit more time gets himself fully set but it does still feel like it's very two movement. And look, this player has been one that Anthony Black's been compared to a lot throughout this draft cycle. And I think it's a little unfair because a, it's so early in that guy's career as well, but B like they have different tools in their arsenal, but it's Josh Giddy, right? Mm-hmm. And Giddy has turned himself into a better three point shooter. He's still not really good, but he's able to play off ball next to Shea in some samples Teams will still sag off of him and he can make them pay and knock down unguarded catch and shoot looks, but it is a set shot. He needs his feet completely set. It is slow. He goes into what his mechanics are going to be every single time. And that's kind of where it is right now. It's not as much off the dribble or when teams are going under from screen. So there is a progression in place with Giddy that I think will be important for black to follow, but it's very similar. I feel better about him as a catch and shoot guy than I actually do about him as a pull-up guy. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's I think that's fair. I I'm still a little bit optimistic about the pull up shot, just because I I do like that he is willing to take it in like yeah. ball screen settings, yeah. um, and when he gets himself a little bit of space in the mid range, I think he can be I think he can be solid there in time. Like I don't expect him to ever be, um, you know, Chris Paul. Sure, <laughs> it's sure. like he's just like this electric mid range scorer. Sure. Um, but I I do think that it it's going to be a viable shot for him to take in time. Yeah. Now he does not have the same natural tools as an Amen Thompson to be able to be an elite offensive player without the shot necessarily, mm-hmm. uh, but still unbelievable feel, great passer. Like Anthony Black has put him in a position to be a lottery pick. And as we said earlier, those two guys mm-hmm. are going to have the runway to continue to work through that shot because they can do so many different things on a basketball. I was going to say too, I think his size and toughness are two things that are going to go a long way for him with how he gets to the basket too. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I think there's going to be some real untapped stuff as far as like you can short roll him. Like you can do some stuff with Anthony Black that's like a little bit funky um, because of his willingness to deal with contact and and deliver it to people. Um, But I think that there are going to be ways that creative coaching staffs are going to be able to utilize him and have him have an impact on the game. I'd love to see him at a post-up game because Mm -hmm. you want to play him at the one and you can go super, super big. And now he's got the smallest guy on the opposing team on him. Go punish him inside. He's so strong when he gets to his right hand and and unbelievably crafty and smart at finding ways to get there. Like if the team's in drop coverage, but they're forcing him to the left, he's still going to get back to his right. Like he's just, Mm -hmm. he's a really, really smart basketball player. So both guys who I buy into as kind of top five guys on my board who don't have great jump shots and the, the buy-in on them isn't necessarily about me believing they'll add a jump shot. It's more so that they have so many other things going on that I kind of give them a thumbs up and say, they don't need a jump shot to be a good NBA player. But this is the last point that I want to make on an evaluation tool. Mm -hmm. It's work ethic. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. (laughs) Yeah. Like we always, fail to bring up the most important part of this, which is you're not just buying the product of a player and what he produces on the floor or his tools are. You're buying the the guy, the work mm-hmm. ethic, the ability to take constructive criticism and feedback and be coachable to just put your head down and say, I'm going to do this no matter what. Like the best example I can think of this was Jeremy Sohan this year, the way yeah. that he just 
changed his shooting form and completely has done whatever that coaching staff has asked him to do and made as many in-season gains as he did to his offensive arsenal, it speaks volumes about the guy that Jeremy Sohan is. So uh, I, I hear a lot of good things about Amen Thompson. Mm-hmm. I hear so many terrific things about Anthony Black. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very willing to buy into those two guys regardless of kind of what the, the mechanics or, or the indicators are, because yeah. at the end of the day, if you're going to improve, like a lot of times it's just through sheer willpower. Yeah. And I think with Anthony Black, one thing that, that I can say without peeling back the curtain at all, that I think is just a real testament to him and something I saw so much of throughout the season is if you just follow people on Twitter, that are involved with like the Texas grassroots basketball yes. scene at all. Yeah. Those dudes go to bat for Anthony Black when they don't have to. Yes. They don't have to hinge their reputation on anybody. And they're they're doing just fine. Um, but a lot of those guys are willing to go out on a limb for Anthony Black and really kind of hype him up. And I don't think a lot of these people would be risking their professional reputation for a kid if they didn't have to. Yeah. Um, and I think that speaks volumes about what you're getting with Anthony Black is a, is a worker and a human being. 100% co-sign that. Mm-hmm. So I think there's one last prospect that we got to talk about here in terms of shooting projection. And it's, it's Leonard Miller. Like we, we mentioned him earlier. He's starting to climb closer to that lottery territory and is uh, rumored to be higher in the first round than maybe he was a, a couple months ago. He had a strong finish to the season. I'm still not there on the shot. I think that the mechanics, as we talked about earlier, are really all over the place in terms of what he needs to change and fix. Mm -hmm. But he is the guy that quintessentially gets brought up with touch on the interior, good free throws, like all of these different things. I love that he is able to finish at the basket or with runners with either hand. Like that's an Mm -hmm. unbelievably cool skill to have, and it's going to serve him well in the NBA but I don't think he has the same primary scoring pop that Anthony Black and Amen Thompson do to get to the basket, to do some things to create for themselves. And to me, that's where you have to be a better shooter. Like I can see the offensive role for Anthony Black and Amen Thompson as they currently exist, which is as subpar three-point shooters. I struggle to see it a lot more for Leonard Miller. So I'm looking to be sold here. Like if, if you disagree with me on this, cause I, I love Leonard as a dude. Yeah. I want him to succeed. Yeah, He's yeah, got yeah. that character thing that we talked about earlier. Yes. Yeah. But like, I'm just, I'm really turned off by kind of the mechanics that we've seen over the last two years. I get it. I get it. Um, yeah. I, the, the two sports I, I played were, were basketball and track and field. And I will say that generally his shooting motion is a lot more, it's a lot closer to what I was doing in, in the shot foot ring than what I was doing on the basketball court. But, hey, but here's the thing, like we mentioned earlier, the work ethic, it's, it's a real thing. I, I love Leonard Miller's work ethic. I thought his point A to point B improvement was stellar this year. Yep. Um, got to interview him for a piece love the attitude absolutely love the attitude with Leonard Miller uh he he believes in himself 100 but I think he's also very honest about himself I think yeah. that to me is yeah. like the the biggest thing a player can do to sell me on themselves is to say you know what I believe in myself I think I'm I think I'm being slept on and whatever but also being like man I'll watch film and I'll see this and I'll know that this is wrong and I'll the next game I'm gonna work hard to correct that whatever I think he's I think he's like a sponge as far as his attitude and what he's going to absorb. I do think the shot needs quite an overhaul. 
Um, it is generally a very low pushy release uh, from the three point line. But I will say, even compared to where it was a year ago, I feel a little bit better about it. The release point on it is a little bit better. It's not great. Um, sure. Sure. It's slightly better than it was. Um, and I thought down the stretch, um, there were a couple of games where particularly out of the corner, he was keeping the release a little bit higher. Okay. Um, so I do think that ultimately where we're, where I view Leonard Miller, as far as this goes, is here's a guy who's really proven that he can work, um, that he can get better. And he does so much stuff on the court just through the sheer fact that he is 6'10", his motor never stops running, and he is going to muck things up. Yeah, I think he is going to motor his way into a rotation, and I think he's going to have all the time in the world to fix that shot because of his motor and his work ethic. Um, I will also say, like, we've, we've got our problems with this shot. But for a 19 year old playing in a pro league to be like 32% from three, like that is not a bad starting. Bad. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm, I'm a little bit just like, I like the guy. I love the game. I love the motor. Cause like I, those are the guys I, I'm suckers for guys. that yeah. just like play really hard. And Leonard Miller's one of those guys. Um, but I, I just think that with what we've seen from him in terms of his year over year improvement, his limited experience against high level competition, um, and, and yeah, the fact that I think he's going to be able to get on the floor without it, it just, I feel like he's going to be close to okay. Um, I think he knows how to handle himself when teams sag. Is the yeah. other thing that helps him quite a bit. Is that there were a lot of games in the G League where player teams will sag off of him, and he has that weird kind of downhill wiggle game and a willingness to embrace contact that he'll get to a spot where he can convert and he'll get to the free throw line, and he's a really good free throw shooter. That I think even if it's not a great jump shot, even if it's not average if it's just close i think he's going to find a way to be an effective player yeah i guess i'm sold you're 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 away leonard miller in the no ceilings group chat is one of the names that comes up the most he's one of like the most contentious guys among our group so i get i get really fired up about leonard miller yeah and again love the guy rooting for him to succeed Mm -hmm. as i am with everybody uh but uh the mechanics and and all these things they do matter as well max this Mm -hmm. was a fun conversation, a relevant conversation to be able to have, but I've kept you for over an hour. And if I keep myself (laughs) much longer, my wife's going to fucking kill me. So (laughs) before we go, let the people know what you've got going on the next Mm -hmm. couple of weeks here and where everybody can find you. Yeah. uh, You can find me on Twitter at bound boards. Um, Our podcast is on the no ceilings NBA podcast feed. Um, I'm on those Monday episodes there, but subscribe because every day you're getting a new show. So you're getting a lot of different perspectives on prospects. You're getting fresh content every single day. Um, and if you go to our Substack, stack, subscribe there, you're getting different written work every single day. Uh, this week I wrote about jet Howard. Um, my goal there is just to, to try and turn you and Sam on jet Howard every, every day I'm driving to work. I'm listening to you and Sam say all these mean things about jet Howard. I'm crying in the car on the way to work, just trying to win you guys over. So I wrote that piece for you guys specifically, but uh, no, I'm, I'm a big jet Howard guy. I'm a believer. So I I wrote a piece on him this week. Uh, So go check that out. We've got uh, a G league elite camp preview coming later this week from me and Nathan Grubel. Um, and then more combine kind of think piece stuff going on next week as well. So stay tuned for all that. Yeah. Like combine season is coming upon us. So, uh, mm-hmm. you guys over at no ceilings are doing an unbelievable job covering everything, but I know every single year you and the other sickos are doing some, mm-hmm. some great deep dives <laughs> to get everybody ready for mm-hmm. the stuff that's going on in the weeds. Uh, I just pushed out an Anthony black scouting report, both the video and the written version, which is free for all to read 
would encourage you to do so. Uh, he has cracked my top five for many of the reasons that we mentioned here tonight, but a couple other scouts coming out as we get forward to a lot of action and movement next week when we finally get to know the order of the 2023 NBA draft. So Max, thank you again for being here with us. Always a pleasure chatting with you and uh, everybody out. We'll see you next time.